God's people said, Amen. Amen. I love preaching uh, through books like this, especially a gospel where the storyline is unfolding. And we can catch, hopefully, a better, deeper glimpse and a better understanding of how things are unfolding, what the writer's trying to accomplish for us. So John has been building things for us. John only records seven miraculous signs of Jesus. Jesus did thousands of miracles, amen? John records seven for us. Why seven? Well, that's God's number of a perfect completion. So he uses each one, their, their highlight signs, and they come to this amazing climax towards the end of the gospel. It's the last healing miracle, miracle of Jesus in the gospel of John is raising Lazarus from the dead. He'd been in the tomb four days. He'd been dead four days. So when Jesus raised him, it was an incontrovertible declaration. This is God working. Well, that happened roughly a week or so before what we call Holy Week and Jesus ending up on the cross. So this, this miracle, this raising Lazarus, kind of blew the whole thing, blew the lid off. Tensions had been increasing. All kinds of pressures had been increasing. This miracle, Jesus knowing full well what it would precipitate, this miracle blew the lid off. Now, last Sunday, we saw how there was um, an amazing dinner. I wonder how many people were at Mary and Martha and Lazarus' home that night. Because it said people came from Jerusalem. They heard Jesus was there with his disciples for this special meal. They came down to see Jesus, but it says they almost came down more so to see Lazarus. Sounds like a little bit like Lazarus had been hiding out a little bit. He was a famous man, right? He's probably still processing the whole experience. Dead four days, Jesus called him back out of the tomb. That's that's a unique club. Amen. How many members in that club? Uh. Now, some he raised a few people from the dead, but they were momentarily, you know, soon after death. Uh, widow named son. It's probably within 24 hours, but so a small club. Anyway, lots and lots of people down there. They have this huge meal, this huge gathering. Mary pours the expensive um, perfume on Jesus' feet, wipes them with her hair. This wonderful, powerful, amazing gathering time. And this is going to follow, today is going to follow right on the heels of that. So we finished last Sunday with uh, the, the beloved chief priests plotting Jesus' death in a serious way. And now plotting Lazarus' death as well because so many people are believing because of his witness. Pick it up now. This Maybe our worship felt this morning a little bit like Palm Sunday. Uh, there's reason for that. It's because today is what we would call the Palm Sunday text uh, in the middle of this wonderful story. Verse 12 in chapter 12. So the next day after this big meal at Mary and Martha and Lazarus' home, the very next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Now, this is that we need to understand these two. There's going to be two large crowds today in the story. This large crowd is people from outlying countryside around Jerusalem. They've come into Jerusalem for the week of the Passover feast. So you have this massive crowd. Now, it's very likely that a lot of these people have heard a lot about Jesus. It's very likely that many of them have seen him perform miracles personally, have heard him preach personally. So this crowd comes in from the outlying areas, and they fill Jerusalem. Thousands and thousands of Jews come for this special week of worship and the Passover feast. So this large crowd, what's it say about them? The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast in Jerusalem heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. There's been all kinds of scuttlebutt. It was like, gee, I think he's coming. He's coming. Yeah. You 
we hear that the chief priests are out. They've got a contract out on him. They want to, they want to kill him. They want to arrest him. So there's been all kinds of buzz. They hear that he's coming to Jerusalem. How do they hear that? Well, the night before, he's having dinner at Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' house two miles from Jerusalem. So does word sneak into Jerusalem that he's on the way? Sure does. Verse 13. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Say it with me, even the uh, king, king of Israel. Israel. Uh -huh. That's big touchy stuff, right? Who's, who's politically in charge of Jerusalem and Israel right now? Rome is. Caesar. Pilate is his representative in Jerusalem. Herod is kind of sort of in the mix, but you know, he's not a king. He's a governor. He's appointed by Caesar. All those kind of things. But somebody comes riding into town. We'll find out in a second. Riding into town. And the population goes out en masse out of Jerusalem, the capital city. And en masse, they go out of the city to meet him and greet him. And what are they declaring about him? Here comes the king of Israel. Shockwaves. Politically, Shockwaves personally, shockwaves spiritually go through the nation. And this is being declared. The king, even the king of Israel, verse 14, Jesus found a young what? Donkey. How does a king come into the capital city to, to approbation, to, to praise and glory? He comes in on a magnificent white horse, normally, in this time period, in this part of the world. When he comes back from a victory on the field of battle, he comes in on a white stallion. Remember, he's a, that's a picture, right? Comes right in like that, and you're just going, wow, there's the king. Jesus comes into this approbation, this, this praise and glory. Here comes the king of Israel. And he gets on a what? Who's got a donkey in Israel? Everybody. <laughs> Thanks, Kevin. Everybody. Regular people. Shepherds have a donkey. Farmers have a donkey. Shopkeepers might have a donkey for moving goods and stuff. Everybody's got a donkey in Israel. Here comes the king! Riding on a donkey. Yeah. Jesus is sending a, a chosen, specific message with his choice of transportation. He's coming on a donkey. What's, what message is he sending? I'm not like your usual king. I'm nothing like your usual king. I won't rule right now like you think a king should rule. I won't, I won't go up to the palace and tell Pilate to take a hike. That's not my agenda this time. I'm not the kind of king you might think you're expecting. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written in the scriptures, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Prophecy. There's so many prophecies in the Old Testament fulfilled in this week. It's just nuts. Just double digits off the charts. There's probably a hundred fulfilled in this week. Here's one of them. Verse 16. Gotta love this. This is an insight from John. John is an eyewitness disciple who wrote this account. Amen. So this is a little, this is a little parentheses comment from John, the beloved disciple. He says, verse 16. His disciples did not understand these things at first. You know, would you? They're living it. In the whole Old Testament, they can't make all these connections. They're just living day to day with Jesus. 
His disciples didn't understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, when he rose from the grave, he spent time with them, showed them, proved to them that he was alive, then he went up into the clouds, they began to, but who did they get after that? God sent the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, he will teach you all things. They started making connections with the Old Testament prophecies. Stuff became clear. They began to understand better. It says, when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and been done to him. Wouldn't that be pretty amazing? Sit down with the disciples and go. And all that stuff being unfolded. Talk about Bible study on fire. Amen. Wow. Verse 17. The crowd that now we had a large crowd from coming from all over Israel into Jerusalem. This is a different crowd. Verse 17, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, say with me, what they continue to do? They continued to bear witness. You would, wouldn't you? I would hope. What do you do when God really rocks your life and does something miraculous and, and obvious and off the charts? What do you do about it? You just tell people about it. You can't stop telling people. Wow. We don't know how many, but, but a good-sized crowd saw Jesus call Lazarus out of the tomb. And they can't shut up about it. It only happened a couple miles from Jerusalem anyway. So a lot of them are from Jerusalem. They go back to town. What are they, what are they going to town saying? You should have been there. Literally, I saw it happen. You know Lazarus, Mary and Martha's sister. They just live right up the town of Bethany. Well, yeah, sure. The place is rocking, and they can't shut up about it. They continue to bear witness. So what does that do? The witness is spreading like wildfire through Jerusalem. Okay, they didn't have air conditioning back then, right? So summertime, they'd be up on their rooftops at night. They'd go up and sleep on the rooftop because there's a little bit of a breeze going across there. They would literally talk to each other from rooftop to rooftop. You talk about grapevine, right? For rumors and stuff. Somebody goes up on the rooftop. Everybody just get up there for the night and say, check this out. You know, they just tell the whole neighborhood. And it goes boom, 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 boom through the city. By the next day, you think you need email? You think you need text? By the next day, the whole city's on fire with the news that Jesus raised Lazarus out of the tomb four days dead. So the whole place is just rocking with spiritual earthquakes. Everything is just going crazy. Verse 18. The reason why the crowd went to meet Jesus was that they heard he had done this sign. What's Palm Sunday Parade about? Raising Lazarus from the grave. People are on fire. That's why they're screaming and yelling. Who doesn't want this guy to be king of Israel? Amen? When you've got a king that can raise people from the dead, there's no stopping you. Rome, take a hike. China, who cares? So they're like, Jesus be king! <clears throat> The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. You, you can see him standing around going, you never had any ideas. You're not getting, we're not getting anywhere. In fact, we're losing it all. Exactly where they're at. You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Worst case scenario for a Pharisee. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. We only have 
Gentiles, non-Jews mentioned in the Gospels. Really, we go from the, the wise men, the magi at the Christmas story, right? And then we have that 2,000 pigs event. That was, that was in Gentile territory. But at that time, they were like, Jesus, you be scaring us. Please go away. That's the only other direct connection we have. There's a couple little stories uh, along the way, but, but not really strong stuff. Here we have at the end, now among those who went up to the worship of the feast were some Greeks. These Greeks came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and they asked him, sir. So that's a, they, they uh, uh, respect to him. So these are men interested in Jesus, they're interested in God. They respectfully approach Philip, sir. We wish to, say with me, we wish to see Jesus. Now, this is more than we just want to, we just want to get a glimpse of him. They want to see him, meet him, visit with him. Gentiles. Philip went and told Andrew, what do you think? These Gentiles, they want to, they want to talk to Jesus. Jesus said it's all about, you know, reaching the, the lost sheep of Israel. You know, this is what we're doing first. What do you think? They talk it over, verse 23, Jesus, and then they went and told Jesus. So verse 23, Jesus answered them. Now, I wish we had a little more detail here. The word in the Greek and the way it's set up and the, the grammar and stuff, we don't know if the them is Philip and Andrew, or is it Jesus talking to the Greeks? We don't know for sure. I'm thinking probably Philip and Andrew, but got to leave the door open. So Jesus answered them. So the Philip and, and Andrew come to you say, uh, these Greek men want to visit us. And this triggers something. This is one of those moments Jesus has been waiting for, his trigger moment. When this happens, he'll, he'll know that the next step towards the cross is being taken. So here it is. Jesus answered them. Say it with me. The, the hour, hour has come. come. Say it again. The, the hour, hour has come. come. Now, how many times did Jesus along the way, you know, they picked up stones, people picked up stones and tried to stone and kill him, right? And, and it didn't happen. He'd slip away miraculously in the crowd. He'd, he'd get away and stuff. And what did the text say over and over and over again? His hour had not yet come. The timing wasn't right. You got something in your life right now and you feel like the timing is off? God's timing is off for you? It's hard, isn't it? It's hard trusting him with the timing when you when you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it needs to happen now and it doesn't happen now. Trusting God with the timing. So for three years, he kept saying, "Oh, the hour, the hour has not yet come. The hour has not come." What does Jesus declare here? Bingo. The world has come to me. The the, the non-Israelite Jewish world wants to get to know me. This is the sign. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Gee, that sounds wonderful. I mean, he's riding into town on a donkey, and the crowd's going bananas, right? King of Israel, yeah, Jesus rocks. This is glory, right? Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you say, bring that? See that a purple robe? Yeah, that looks like mine. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you go here? Kiss. I don't have a ring on my finger. Kiss my ring, right? You know, bow down and kiss my feet, wash my sandal, all those things. That's what we think of when we hear Jesus saying, oh, it's time to be glorified. What's he thinking of for his glorification? Thinking of his 
so backwards, right? Donkey than a white stallion. That's backwards. Verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Praise God, we've got a lot of fruit out the window here. Corn and beans. How did those things happen? We've buried the kernels. We've buried the seeds in the soil. In a sense, they died to give up their life for what? A brand new plant that bears a lot of fruit. Jesus is making this connection to himself, obviously, right? He's going to die. He's going to be planted, buried in the earth. He's going to come forth and bear a lot. What's that fruit? Not just life for himself. Not just the, the miracle that's even bigger than Lazarus' miracle. A miracle then that expands eternal life. Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now this next verse is a real challenge to wrap our hearts and minds around. But know this. Wouldn't you like love to know what Jesus' preaching was like? He just sit there at his feet and hear a sermon for a few hours. You think mine are long? <laughs> Jesus shared this next tidbit, verse 25. From all the Gospels, we can tell that he shared this over and over and over again in different settings to different groups in different sermons. Now, we all we, all, we know that, he, that one of the things he always probably started with was repent and believe the good news. We know that that was a common theme. This is another common theme, and I never really grabbed a hold of that. This is a big one. So do we need to ponder and, and go deep in it and let it come and rest in our hearts and minds today? Amen? Amen. Here it is. Uh, a Jesus sermon. Let's read it together, verse 25, then we'll go back and unpack it. Whoever, Whoever loves, loves his life loses it. it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Kind of weird, isn't Now, there's things about this life we enjoy. God has blessed us. Amen? Nothing wrong with that. But if you love this life so much that you don't have, you don't care too much about eternity, and you're having such a great time here, that you really don't see a need for Jesus, then you've got a problem. This is not the way God designed it to be. Sin, disease, and death, and pain, and all the fractured, wicked stuff we see going on today, and it seems to be just piling on to America. There's lots of reasons for that. This is not our home. This is not the way it's supposed to be. So Jesus says, if you if you love this life, if you love this so much that you don't have an interest in eternity, you don't have an interest in the pain your neighbor's going through, maybe life is great for you this week. Wonderful. Enjoy it. What about the people around you who are struggling and in, in terrible pain and difficulty and suffering? What about them? Because whoever loves his life here loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it 
Now the hate there, this is a Jewish thing where they, they make opposites, so opposite that he's, he's, uh, he's making a point, a clear, clear point. The point is that um, whoever hates this life, whoever loves God's design for heaven and what this should have been like in the beginning without our sin, whoever has a longing for that and knows that that is the best possible thing ever, we will do all we can to make a difference in this life and this planet, amen, until God takes us home. But what is our longing, our heart's desire? To go home, to be free from tears and pain and suffering and be in his presence forever. Whoever loves this, his life here loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Here's where we summarize this whole kingdom text. This is Jesus himself. Verse 6, 26. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there will my servant be also. Where's Jesus at this morning? Where was he at in his ministry? Well, sometimes he was hanging out with the tax collectors and the prostitutes. Sometimes he was hanging out with those religious people, the Pharisees, the chief priests. He, he hung out with them. He hung out with the disciples. He built them up and trained them up in Christ. He was all over the place. Say that he was all over the place. He was in pla he's in places today that you're probably not thinking about and you don't imagine. The point is... I'm not here to love this life and make the most money I can and have the most power and authority I can, all that kind of stuff. The point is, I'm here to be a servant like Jesus. To serve and make every impact I can on the lives of people around me for Christ until he takes me home to where I belong. Why do I say this whole king thing? Jesus on a donkey. Jesus saying, now it's time for you to be glorified. Let's go to the cross so I can die. This is all backwards to our thinking. Because this is a humble servant. There's no other God on the planet like him. A humble servant God. And if we're going to follow Jesus, we are going to be what? Humble servants ourselves. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there will my servant be also. Now, I love this. Grab onto this. Jesus says, if anyone serves me, what's, what's, what's one reward? Say it with me. Father, go honor him. What's one of our favorite verses in the Bible? Where at the end, I think it's Paul who says, when I get, when I get there, God is, this is my desire, that God would say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. This is where the life of following Christ leads us, leads us into serving. Now, I know we've sprinkled some things about government leaders and things throughout the service today. We've prayed for them. We've prayed for situations. We mentioned it a little bit down the line here in the sermon time and stuff. Um, this just really hit me powerfully last night and again this morning. Uh, we were praying for our elected leaders. Seriously, they get elected, especially when they go to Washington, but even to the state capitol. Money comes their way. Influence comes their way. Power comes their way. Fame to a 
15 degrees comes their way, all those temptations war against the servant humble heart. Right? Jesus, he could have said, bring that white stallion over there and put the gold saddle on it because I'm coming in as king. He could have done that. Why did Jesus choose on purpose to come in on a donkey? I, he was a man, amen? Yes. Did he have to fight temptation like you and I do? I think he did it on purpose. On purpose, he said, I gotta ride a donkey. I gotta keep the humility. I gotta keep my focus as a servant. So pray for, for our elected leaders. I, I don't want that job. I'm glad God hasn't called me to it, but God has called some to it. Pray for them. Humility, servant heart, to hate money and influence and power and authority. To, to every day want instead to serve and to walk in righteousness humbly with our God. That's what we pray for them. What we pray for ourselves. Jesus, where are you at in the influence areas of my life that I have not recognized I need to be serving with you? Who, who in my life have I not been thinking about being a servant to them? Show me and help me to serve. God, keep me humble. When somebody wants me to sit on the white stallion, help me remember I'm going for the donkey. Stay with me. I'm, I'm, I'm going, going for, for the, donkey. the donkey. Say again. I'm, I'm going, going for, for the, the donkey. donkey. God doesn't say, well done, good and faithful king. Well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Jesus, I can't imagine what it was like for you. You're the God of all the universe. You created the whole thing. And yet you came and you served. You got down on your hands and knees. You're going to see that a little bit in John's gospel. You got down on your hands and knees and washed their feet like a lowly household servant. You rode a donkey on purpose. You kept your mouth shut. You could have defended yourself. You could have gotten off the hook. But you kept your mouth shut and you let him put you on the cross. The ultimate act of service that you could ever imagine. Jesus, we long to walk with you, to serve you, to love you, to bless you with our lives. So God, help us to be glad to be a humble servant. That takes a tender heart, God. Takes a heart that cares about eternity and cares about our neighbor more than it cares about how great a life we can have. The Holy Spirit come and do your work in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come and have your way, God. Bless our servanthood to your glory and to our neighbor now. In Jesus' name. Amen.